So parents, if, if I've been asked this question so often, that what is the main thing that we can do to help our children's mental health? It's equip parents with the knowledge that I'm giving you now. It's equip parents with the knowledge to understand how to read their own reactions and what to do about them and manage their mind because it's our mind that is how we react to our kids, how we live our life, how we help our kids, how we listen to the teacher. That's all mind stuff. So as parents, we need to understand mind and how to manage our minds. And then we can help our children understand mind and manage their minds. So it starts with us helping the parent, not giving that kid another label and another drug and increasing screening in a school to find a depression with some silly questionnaire, which research has shown has made things worse. So the models that we're using now, all the models that are out there are making things worse. What will make things better is to help parents to help themselves and their kids. And that's also why I wrote this book. Hey friends, welcome to The Good Life with Michelle Lamoureux, a show for women in midlife who want to live happier, healthier, and more meaningful lives. I'm your host, Michelle Lamoureux, a self-love coach and the author of Design a Life You Love, and together we're going to be doing just that. Each week, I bring on world-class experts, best-selling authors, leading entrepreneurs, and also do solo casts with the intention of inviting you to get connected to what you really desire from your life. This show is produced with love every week. There's inspiration and actionable tips in every episode because I want to see women playing a starring role in their lives instead of living on the sidelines. Be sure to join the Good Life Community newsletter over at thegoodlifecoach.com for more inspiration and tips to live your best midlife. And make sure you're following the show on your favorite podcast player. I'm so glad that you're here. Hey friends, it's Michelle Lamoureux and welcome back to the show. Today, we're going to learn how to help our children clean up their mental mess with Dr. Caroline Leaf. Dr. Leaf is a communication pathologist, audiologist, and clinical and cognitive neuroscientist specializing in psych neurobiology and metacognitive neuropsychology. Her passion is to help people see the power of the mind to change the brain, control chaotic thinking, and find mental peace and purpose in their life. Since the early 1980s, Dr. Leaf has researched the mind-brain connection, the nature of mental health, and the formation of memory. As a highly sought-after expert on mental health, she is the host of the top-rated podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, which I highly recommend you check out. Dr. Leaf is also the author of several best-selling books, including Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Switch on Your Brain, Think and Eat Yourself Smart, and many more. She has a master's and PhD in communication pathology and a BSc in logopedics. And you're going to have to tell us what that is. Dr. Leaf does ongoing research and clinical trials in the field of psych neurobiology in order to prove mental health interventions. And she's on here today to talk about her most recent book, How to Help Your Child Clean Up Their Mental Mess, A Guide to Building Resilience and Managing Mental Health, which is, I think, the most important conversation any parent cares about these days. So welcome. Such an honor to have you on today. Thank you. It's wonderful to be with you. Thank you so much. Can you tell us what is um, the so psych neurobiology and and, All these uh, big words. <laughs> yeah, well, they're fascinating. I mean, I think you're fascinating. And then the logopedics? Yeah, so basically, um, 
I, I studied uh, psychoneurobiology is the study of the mind-brain-body connection, and you can approach it from different angles. And I pr- approached it over the years in in my re- in my studies and research from different angles. So I'm quite qualified as the degree that they don't even actually they broke it up they broke it apart now. But basically, it's the science of looking at how people show up and then tracking back to what is going on inside the brain and the mind and the body and then how you can help a person improve on every level. So the impact of life on a person and then how you can see how you show up and then track that back to how you can move forward in your life and looking at it into all different aspects from communication, um, relationships, dealing with trauma, dealing with the things like traumatic brain injuries and um, dementias and autism and uh, you know, all that whole, the whole kind of that whole package, helping people just to be able to understand how to manage their mind, change well, their brain. We're all, I think, even at every age, we're struggling with that. But I think when it oh, comes yes. to our children, um, there's a sense of wanting to help and then not always having the tools. So that's again why I'm so grateful that you're here today. Your book is phenomenal. Everyone needs Thank to get you. a copy of this, and um, we'll get into some of the how you've structured and and the tools that you've created over the decades that you've done of your research and understanding this whole brain body mind connection. Um, tell us why did you decide to write this book now? What prompted this particular book? Thank you for asking that. It's a great question. I have been, I've, I have four kids that are all adult children and I've been work in my practice. I've practiced for 25 years. I don't practice anymore because I do so much research now and clinical trials and so on and write books and so on. But I have worked with so many kids and a mm-hmm. large portion of my practice was with young children or children of all ages. I worked, my youngest was two, my youngest patient was two years of age. My oldest patient was an 85 year old. So, I mean, the whole spectrum. Um, was, was, is important. And I've written so many books for helping adults and in this country. Um, and my books go global, but I say in this country, because I, in South Africa, I did bring out books for children. So there was just, there's been just looking at the way that mental health has been badly managed and looking at the current crisis. I felt the time was now to release it because our children are, childhood has become pathologized. Children, you know, it's things, children are doing normal children stuff. And because of the way it's been managed, it's become pathologized and medicalized. And that's made, a, you know, that problem has made things worse. And it's going to make things worse unless we have a change. So when we talk about the current mental health crisis in globally, but specifically it's the worst it's ever been with children. If you look at statistics a couple of years back, there's these, all these different kinds of surveys that they can do. And just yeah. a few short years ago, when they did surveys on countrywide um, mental health kinds of statistics, it was always the adults that were battling, but kids weren't. Now mm. it's swapped. The adults mm. are doing better than children. You know, so when we look at that and we re- recognize that our children have actually grown up in the last 40, 50 years, we shifted how we look at mind. So our children, Gen Alpha, Gen Z, and our millennials have grown up in a philosophy that is totally different to what it was 40 years ago. And the most, and, and this is why, these are all the reasons why I've written this book, because it really concerned me of, if you have such a massive shift in philosophy that yes. shifts how we look at human behavior, that impacts yes. how we do, how we educate, how we, how we design our politics, how we look at philosophically at how humans function, how we run med- the medical system. This, this shift that happened 40, 50 years ago has influenced all those areas, which mm. means our children have grown up in a culture of seeing themselves as almost like machines and if something is broken it has to be fixed by some kind of there's something wrong and it has to be fixed by putting something in 
And so it's almost like externalized this physical and made the physical the most important thing and taken the human experience out of it. So when a child maybe is going through maybe changing schools or going to a new, has a new friend or a new teacher, or there's a new sibling, or there's just a change in their life, they're going to react by change, by, by functioning differently. And in the past, we would have looked at the whole environment and the circumstances and the context. We would have asked lots of questions and we would have dealt with it in, in a more holistic way. But mm-hmm. now, as soon as a child is showing up in this way at school, they may be behaving differently. The parents are called in. They say your child's not concentrating. You know, then at home, maybe they, the parents, they're not very concerned. And there's this, this pressure put on a parent. If you look at all the messaging that if I don't listen to the teacher and the doctor and if I don't label and diagnose and medicate my child, I'm a bad parent. And there's this incorrect messaging that is dominant and has been dominant for the last 40 years that is leading to things where a child just needs to be able to process being bullied or process the changes in their life. It's the, the way they, and, and that's the reason why they're showing up in a certain way with behavioral issues that's been shifted and now children are being seen if they show up in any different way it's seen as a symptom of a disease and that is terrible when you when you shift a a human experience to being a symptom a set of symptoms of a disease which is not even scientific yet it has been a philosophy that actually has dominated for 40 years i'm not surprised we have a mental health crisis it's not because there's suddenly some new thing that's attacking our kids and or, or even that we're more aware. We've, we, it's, that's maybe one component. There's a greater awareness. The greatest factor is the fact that we've shifted how we look at children, how we look at adults, how we look at humans, how we look at um, us as, and, and how we've medicalized misery. And that's why I brought out this book. Long answer. But I want to equip parents with the ability to look at your child and see, okay, this is not who they are. This is, they're showing up like this because of. What is the because of? And how do I give my child's, child the tools to tell their narrative? And how can I have the knowledge to counter the system so that you don't get pushed into and siloed into a system that's actually going to harm your child and not help your child? Dr. Leaf, when you're speaking, I just literally want to like get up and like like standing ovation. Oh, you everything. You. No, but it's so true when I see what you're saying all the time. I actually interviewed, I used to work in a law firm. One of the attorneys in the firm ended up writing a book. He doesn't even practice anymore. And his, well, it was about his story with his son and they got locked in the system you're talking about where at the, and I literally, I got so emotional during this interview because I interviewed Mm. him and his son, who's now an adult, he's in college and his, his, the son's name is Ryan. And I said, Ryan, tell me about the time they tackled you and Adele tackled him at the age of three to restrain him and covered his mouth. And uh, anyway, it tipped off where they started telling very, his father's very smart and his mom too. They mm-hmm. said he needs to be in a special school where he's restrained. And this poor boy, he was restrained for a good 12 years before they finally like, or maybe 10 years. And they were like, this is wrong. So I think, you know, that's the extreme of it. That's the extreme yeah. of it. And um, that was one of the reasons I had them on the show to tell their story, just to like humanize the situation, also have compassion from, you know, Rob, the father and what they went through. And like you said, you're having all these professionals who, you know, have their whatever, their PhDs or whatever. And they're telling you there is something wrong with your child and nobody's just looking at, well, wait, what shifted? Oh, there was a, a move. Oh, there was a death in the family. Oh, you know what I mean? Like yeah, maybe the context of their life. The context of their life. So mm-hmm. thank you. But um, let me ask you now that because people are going to be thinking, I have friends whose kids are on 
medications for ADHD and different things like that. Um, is there a time where those are appropriate or are we just, are you just saying that it's become more the norm to, to prescribe versus look at context? Well, I can tell you that has the, that's the shift. So in the 38 years I've been in the field, I have watched how we, in the 80s, we, and all through the 90s, which is how I was trained in our practice, we would never diagnose. We would always do multi, uh, very long evaluations over seven, eight hours. So in other words, working with our patients was a mm. whole holistic affair with teachers, parents, any other medical professionals involved. There was never just a 15-minute checklist diagnosis assuming there's a neurobiological basis for the certain behavioral symptoms without considering the child's story. It takes a lot of time to look at the context of a child's life, but that is the most successful way of helping a child to, to process and get through whatever it is that they're going through and to stop it becoming a massive problem down the line. So the time invested up front is more than valuable for the time that's going to be lost with incorrect care. And so the current model of... um you know, this current model where we, where there's this total shift towards diagnosis, assuming that there's a neurobiological underlying basis is frightening. It's become the standard of care called SOC, where it's literally, I mean, it's, it, I get so frustrated even when I tell this, but the 95% of prescriptions are given to children and to adults. So, and it's, it, and when I say prescriptions for psychotropics, not for any, I'm not talking about other medications. A psychotropic are things like Ritalin and Adderall and antidepressants and antipsychotics and stimulants or Adderall and those things are stimulants and anti-anxiety meds. Now, they sound like they're doing something because they are anti-something. They sound like an antibiotic that is supposedly fixing something. Now, an antibiotic does. It is actually anti the bacteria. So that philosophy is correct and it's scientifically proven. But to yes. say something's an antidepressant, that it's putting all that to take a stimulant because the child's missing, doesn't have enough dopamine or something, is incorrect because it's not, you're not putting something in the brain that's missing. That's not, that's what they, they told, but that's not actually what's happening. And that's what is very upsetting for myself and scientists like myself that are in the field and clinical people that are practicing in clinical fields and understand this is it's upsetting that the majority of people, 95% of the world's population uh, for sort of West, that are getting westernized medicine, um, uh, are being told by that's if your child has a certain set of symptoms in a 15 minute or 30 minute, if you're lucky, diagnosis that there's something wrong and that you, that the, the, the cure is generally a medication. Hey, this is ADHD. This is how you fix it. ADHD is a diagnosis. It's the brain looks different. This is what's missing. This is what you put back. It sounds so simple. It sounds so logical. Yes. And let me, let me tell you this up front. If it worked, it would have, we would not be seeing the crisis we're seeing now. Ask ourselves a logical question. This approach of diagnosing and medicating has been around for 50, 60 years now, increasing more and more over the last 40 years. If a system was successful, like look at how we've controlled the cholera um, epidemic and, and measles and all these things, if, if a medication is successful, yes. an approach yes. is successful, it means that down the line, you'll see less of it. But yes. here we are 40 years, 50 years <laughs> oh later, gosh. and it's worse than it's ever been. So oh in other words, gosh. we are persisting in using a system that number one is unscientific and number two is making things worse. So to circle with that foundation, I don't want any parent to feel guilt or condemnation because that's, you know, in, that in itself is going, is going to affect your mental health. You have done what you've been told to do and you thought this was the right thing to do. So first of all, parent guilt is not going to help you or your child. But having knowledge, then you can make a plan. 
And so that's what I, I have a whole chapter in the book and I have podcasts where I've interviewed, um, and you mentioned it, where I've interviewed all the professionals in the field and people that have done, colleagues of mine that have done direct research. So when it comes to answering the question of should my child be on Adderall or Ritalin, I'm going to tell you no, but I'm not going to tell you go not take a child, child off it immediately. I'm going to tell you this. Your child doesn't need the Ritalin. It does, they don't need the Adderall because they're not fixing anything. What they're needing is to, is to learn. We need to understand exactly why they're showing up with those behaviors and then work in a whole therapeutic plan and a whole home plan and a whole diagnostic plan where you've got the teachers and, and, um, maybe some therapists involved in helping that child generally learn how to learn, learn how to deal with the emotional side of things, et cetera, which is what in my book. That's exactly what I have built into the book, how you as a parent can be empowered to be able to help your child. You shouldn't have to only wait for a professional. There aren't enough professionals to reach every child. So you, you in the meantime, you get a medication. So I want to empower a parent to understand, okay, my child's on Adderall. I can't just stop because it's if you stop a medication, your brain has changed. It will create withdrawal. It's dangerous. So you have to taper off. So the first thing is if you decide that this is what you'd like to do, you need to get with a medical professional who understands how to taper your child off. And there are those medical professionals around. Um, there's a site called Mad in America, and they are brilliant. They have a whole lot of links. I have interviewed, as I said, some of the top professionals in the field, and there's links in my in the my show notes of where you can get advice on um, and medical supervision on how to to taper your child off. Well, if you don't make that decision, please do not just take them off immediately because of the changes in the brain. And you can have very strong side effects like um, depression, suicidal thoughts, and that kind of thing. The second thing is that you need to have a plan in place that helps you to understand why your child showed up in that way in the first place. So we need to look at the signals of that your child is, you know, what's the whole pattern? What's the whole story? And then work back from there to see how can you empower yourself and your child to manage that situation. And it sounds impossible, but it's not. The basic tools I give you in the systems that I've developed, and this is 30 years of 40, nearly 40 years of research, nearly 30 years of clinical practice. So I, I and I really, and I, and I can't at top, I still do, I still do the clinical trial. So it's very important that people, I'm not saying I have the answer, but I have a system that I've developed into which you can put all the different therapy techniques you've ever been exposed to, but, but that will actually help you to regrow the brain and help to get the, the symptoms that are upsetting you or the child or the teacher more under control. And I'm telling you, most of the time, Kids that have been labeled with ADHD, where they've been put on medication, most of the time there's two factors that are involved. And obviously it's unique for every child. But the two factors are there's a story of some kind of emotional thing that's going on, either in a sibling relationship or a familial relationship of some sort, or happening in there with their friends or happening at school. Those are the, so that's the three parts of the first thing. So family, familial, friends, and school. There's something going on in that area that's happening. And they don't know how to manage it. So it's affecting the emotional processing. It's affecting how they're functioning in their mind. And that is pouring over into their schoolwork. And that if, if a child's being bullied, they're not going to be able to concentrate. So they're going to show up with the symptoms of ADHD. Then the other part of the story is children in our current educational system, they don't focus sufficiently on teaching a child how to learn. There's a lot of memorizing. There's not enough understanding. The Socratic method and ask, answer, discuss has been removed in a large part because of the pressure of having to, you know, the tax test and, you know, the star and all that kind of thing, all the, all the different ways that they, that they evaluate children in our current system. So 
you, that is the system. So you've got to play the school game. But what we need to focus on is still teaching your child how to learn. So what I would do the majority of the time in my practice, once I had evaluated and put together, and I explained how I did that in the book, and you can actually ask someone to go and, you know, can you look at my child in this way? So I give you the tools in the book to ask the right questions. But essentially, it's a process of getting to know the child and their story and the context and what's going on in their life. You start with the child's story. What is not what the, you know, the parent plays a huge role, but what is the child telling you? What are, what are they going through? We need to validate and understand their experience from their perspective because we can tell the story from our perspective as a parent and that's part of it. But first and foremost is how is that child experiencing that situation? And we can't understand anyone else's experience, even our own children, because it's their experience. But what we can do is have a uh, we don't know what it feels like to be in their shoes, but we can see the impact of that. And of course, because we love them and care for them, we want to help them. But we start with understanding the child's story. Then you build on how the parent is viewing the child, how the teacher, how the siblings are. And you build around what is, and you find out what's going on. What is the root cause or what is the root causes? There's probably a whole bunch of them. And that's on the emotional side. And you teach a child then how to, how to do that. And that's, we can go through the steps of how to do that in a moment. It's going to give you the big picture. And then the other side is we have to teach our kids how to learn. They're not being taught how to learn in the school system. So I have also brought out the, the neurocycle, which is the system we're going to talk. You can learn to, you can use to, to detox any kind of issue that's causing mental health behaviors. And you can also learn, use it to learn how to learn. It's got both aspects. It was initially developed for people who had traumatic brain injuries and, and ADHD labels and learning disabilities to teach them how to learn. And when you focus on that first, very often the emotional side of things starts rebalancing and then you you can deal with the emotional side. And these are skills that I taught two-year-olds. As my youngest patients were two and three-year-olds, these are not impossibly difficult skills. It starts with the mom and the dad, the parents, the caregivers, the mom, mom, dad, dad whatever the combination is, um, the, is them learning the, the learning how to use their mind and use their brain, how to learn, how to do the, how to manage their mental health. Because moms, the, the adults, the parents in the house are going to model for the child, and then teaching the child how to do it. So, and and when I say teaching the child how to do it. The it is this concept that I've called the neurocycle, which is a basically a system. It's like a vehicle within which you can put whatever you need to achieve on a mental health side, dealing with problems and on a learning side. And what, what I, why I did this is because in my practice, this was the approach I took. And most of the cases, we would wean the kids off the medication and they would go from being kids that were really battling to kids that were, back, were doing really well. So I showed a 35 to 75% improvement in children's academic, emotional, cognitive functioning by giving, empowering them and their, and their caregivers on how to manage their mind. What it also shows is that there is, there is some level of trauma that's happening that's quite deep-seated and quite big and quite complex. Yes. You, you, it'll tell you that, okay, we, we find this, now we need some therapeutic support as well. So it guides you into what support you as a parent might need therapeutic support. If your child's been through a lot of trauma, you've traumatized. So in order for you to be able to help your child, it's, you know, you can, you need to know what's going on. So that's what I love about the system is because it's not taking anything out of the equation. It's reducing the reliance on medication. It is reducing the reliance on others and it's empowering you to help yourself and your child helping your child to help themselves and then looking at okay i can do so much on my own what other support do i need in terms of therapeutic intervention or extra lessons or maybe some sort of 
coaching and sport coaches play a massive role in children's lives in terms of helping with their in so many areas, so many ways. Have so much time for coaches in, in the, because of the, the, that, that sort of side of things that they they deal with in children's lives. So, I mean, that's a long answer again, but um, it's important we always contextualize. I always give long answers because yes. I want to, there is no short answer to any of these things. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And I like taking the big picture because then we're going to break it down. Yeah. And it also, the big picture creates the foundation. And one of the things that you said that I so appreciate is to a parent whose child has been diagnosed or whatever, you support whatever they've chosen because you know that the parent is having their struggles, but exactly. there's tools and information in your book and in the podcast to maybe have a different lens and fi figure out how to support them in a different way. I have to ask, because now I'm deeply curious, why did things shift in the 80s and 90s? What what was that shift? It's, it's so interesting. It's when they discovered um, by mistake that um, the antipsychotics, and they saw that when people were battling with mental health challenges like extreme states that if you medicated these people it seemed to get them calm and that started the whole movement of wow. medicating and at that point as well there was a shift inside I mean it's quite a big thing but the short, short cliff notes version yes, is, is the discovery of medication and the other side was psychiatry has always been seen as you know not real medicine so you know they they psychiatrists had a big push to try and say well cardiovascular you know cardiologists look at the heart so um psychiatrists look at the brain and you know so it's but it's not quite that simple because your brain isn't where mental health is your mental health is in your mind and your brain and body just respond you know so it's a and so that became very dominant and also it's very measurable you know to have a symptom checklist to be able to give a medication to be able to it's much easier than spending seven eight hours of diagnosis to try and and working with a child to try or an adult to try and understand what's going on in their life that takes a lot of time you can't just have someone in and out of your clinic or in and out of your office in 15 minutes it requires a whole different approach but as i say the upfront investment is going to result in uh, saving years of agony for both the child and the parent in the long run so it's, it's really worth that upfront investment. So by cutting those corners and making, you know, moving through the system quickly and medicalizing the whole approach to mind, that's what happened. So we went from seeing humanity and mind as one aspect and medical as another aspect, then the lines blurred. Wow. And when the lines blurred, now there's no distinction between diabetes and someone who's depressed. And that's crazy because diabetes is we there's tests that we can do we understand that there's an underlying biological cause so we can make a diagnosis and we can treat with quite specific drugs we need insulin for the pancreas for type 1 diabetes when it comes to depression depression or adhd those aren't it's like diabetes they don't have a package with a neurobiological underlying cause what they are are, are descriptive words so depression for example and anxiety those aren't illnesses those are emotional warning signals they emotions that tell you something, give you information to uh, that is saying a person is depressed because of. So a, an emotion like depression and anxiety have because of attached to them in terms of the person's life story. Yes. Diabetes type 1 has an underlying biological cause that we can see physically. Yes. With the advent of MRI machines in the mid-90s, for example, we started being able to see inside the brain. And so that that led to a large explosion between that and drugs as well, that led to a large explosion. Or we can look inside the brain and we can see what's happening. And But you can't really see what's happening. The brain is responding. I mean, I, I do neuroscience research with QEG machines and we can see 
minute responses, even you know, millions of energy responses in the brain, but we're not looking at your thoughts. We're also not looking at fixed biomarkers or states because your brain now and your brain in an hour's time, let's say that now we're having this really great conversation, we're going to have certain patterns in our brain, whatever technology we use. Yes. Now we could have, you could go from this conversation and have a very um, dramatic event happen. Someone emails you and a, maybe a friend is very sick or something. So it's, 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 a, it's a traumatic experience. Yes. We can look at the brain in that moment and it would have changed. Now, if we just take a snapshot in time looking wow. for a biomarker, Yes. We're going to limit the whole story. So we've got to be careful of just looking at one thing in a limited block of time. So, you know, that's kind of what's happened. It's convenient. It's quick. It's, you could tick the boxes, but it's not what human functioning, you can't just put us into a little box. It's too, we're too expensive. I, I love this conversation. This is so fascinating. And it's reminding me, I've had doctors come on who treat perimenopause and menopause. And what they've ta- told me is that what happens when women go in and are having depression and all these other symptoms that are related to needing estrogen and other things because their hormones are declining, they're written off as just relax, take some, have some wine. Oh, and here's a prescription for an antidepressant and they're totally written off. And so these doctors are trying to change the conversation. So I love that you're doing this, especially as it comes to kids. I know there's going to be people listening who are like, but it helped my kid or it helped me because I'm seeing all these influencers now who've been like, oh, I I have ADHD and I'm now on this med and I'm, I don't know. And I just, I don't know enough about it. So I, I, what you're saying though resonates. And again, there's no judgment for anyone out there. And I do have friends whose children are on the ADHD, but I think part of the reason I do my show is to inform and create awareness and see what resonates with you and, and, and right. And we're going to be learning from you and, um, uh, and I'm grateful to be having this. And and like I said, my friend Rob, who came on the show, that was an extreme. But I think you're right. There's just um, these kids are put through a microscope. And then it's like within 15 minutes, oftentimes, I mean, he didn't even have a di- diagnosis. They literally flipped through a book and was like, OK, we'll just list this so you can go to the school. And it changed the uh, course of his life. I mean, it's uh, just too much. Um, OK, you've talked now about mind, brain, body connection. I think we get confused between the mind and the brain as thinking it's one. Can you just, because I think this is part of what we're going to be talking about too. Can you just help us understand the difference between our mind and our brain? Because I think this is important. Okay. Absolutely. Can I quickly just go to the label of ADHD and depression quickly, just to to wrap up to that? No, because people are going to want to know. No, please do. What should we do? And I'm going to explain the mind and the brain and I'll kind of link it all together. So please. Think if, if you've had a diagnosis of ADHD or depression or bipolar depression, you or your child, any of those scary names, schizophrenia, um, psychosis, uh, anxiety disorder, you know, if you've had any of those kind of diagnoses, see them rather as a description, not as a delimiting label that's locked you into a box. And so in other words, see ADHD as not a thing. But as, oh, that's a type of cluster of behaviors, battling to pay attention, battling to focus. But it's not who you are. It's not because you have a brain deficit or you have a brain that's a different size, which is often the research that's cited and it's incorrect research, but it's, and it's been misused. It's not because you have some genetic flaw or you have some chemical imbalance. It is because you have, are experiencing life experiences. Now, so in, in taking that concept, I'm linked to the brain mind body difference. So if you see ADHD, instead of saying I have ADHD, say that I 
have um, I battle with concentration and attention and a bit of a little bit hyperactive. See it as a description. So move away from label to description. And also don't see it as that's who you are or that's who your child is. Just see that's how they're showing up currently. That's they they have this list of these things that I can describe certain behavior patterns of how they're showing up now in this way, but there's a because of, and we can resolve this because the brain can always change versus you have ADHD, you have a mental illness. Can you hear the difference? Yeah. The label is then you walk around with that label and it not in a good way. It just changes how you think about yourself. Exactly. Because, and especially because it's lumped into a medical diagnosis. So, and and the languaging and the zeitgeist and the conversation is all around the fact that, Hey, we talk about um, diabetes with no shame. Why can't we talk about my anxiety or my ADHD with no shame? You don't have to talk about it with shame, but that's not what we, that's people, it's good people are saying that. It's good that people are saying, I shouldn't be ashamed of our anxiety, but we shouldn't be seeing it as this delimited thing. It's one anxiety is not a thing. It's a warning signal. It's a description. Now, why are you anxious? That's the key. And if, and if you're anxious, what are the behaviors that you are, that are linked to that? And, and where, how does it feel in your body? And how does it affect your perspective? Okay. Well, from that description, that's coming from something. What do you think it's coming from? What's the story behind it? that's the difference I'm talking. That's what you want to do versus, oh, you have anxiety disorder. Here's the diagnosis. Here's the medication. There's no looking at, there's no honoring of the person. It's actually shrinking the person down to or reducing them down to just a label. I don't, I want to honor a person's story and their life and what they're going through and the uniqueness of the person and the, and the, the ups and downs, which are all part of life. We, we want to honor that in the person. We don't just shove it in a little label and, and ignore it. Okay. So, when bringing that around to the AD, the brain, brain, mind, brain, body connection, when we talk about having a label like depression and anxiety, ADHD, the implication is that there's something wrong with your brain. So I'm holding up a brain for those of you that are listening. It's not a real one. It's it's a, the model. <laughs> um, and the the messaging is that um, those that that depression is because there's something wrong in you in your brain. Now let's say that you're having your parents are getting divorced or they're going through major problems and you had to move to a new home and you've got no friends. Of course, that child's going to be depressed and anxious and difficult and different and maybe not eating and maybe not, maybe not sleeping. Those are very normal responses to an adverse circumstance. So to say that child has ADHD or depression or both is not fair to the child, what's going on in the child's life. It's better to say, Oh, they're showing those kinds of behaviors. And those symptoms or then describe it as part of a cluster of something that's of signals that are going on. So see them as descriptive signals. Okay. Mm. So taking that now that child is at home, they're going home. There's this divorce. They maybe is living in separate homes. They're not seeing mom and dad at the same time. They've had to move schools because whatever all the circumstances around that, those are experiences that child is having. Mm. How do we, how do we have an experience? We have an experience with our mind. Our mind is the thing that enables us to process going home to that broken home, going home, going to school, being teased about, you know, you don't live with your mom, whatever, whatever's happening. The, the, the feeling of what did I do wrong as a child? Because children will often blame themselves because if they don't understand, they think they've done something wrong. What did I do to cause mommy and daddy to break up? Um, what, the, a scary new school. They're all these things that their ability to 
our, our ability as humans to experience life is our mind. Without a mind, you can't experience the ups and downs, the happiness, the sadness, the rainbows, the beach, the sunshine, the conversation, the hug. That's what our mind does. Our mind mm-hmm. enables us to take the good, the bad, the ugly and process it. So the mm-hmm. mind is this thing that enables us to think, feel, and choose in response to life. That's on the yes. psychological level. Yes. On a on a physics level, it is gravitational fields and electromagnetic light waves and quantum energy and all kinds of fancy stuff that, that makes us alive. When if I use I use QED technology in my research, if someone's dead and we put QED, a QEG cap to read the brain waves on them, we won't read anything because that person's dead. There's no mind in action. There's nothing happening. But we're mm-hmm. alive. We're having this conversation. Your listeners and viewers are alive and having this conversation. So right now, all of us, we are making between 800,000 and a million cells every second because wow. we because we are alive. Our heart's beating because we are alive. Our um, lungs are helping us breathe. Our, all the things that our blood is flowing because of our aliveness, which is our mind. So mind is your aliveness. It's your ability to experience. So if you're dead, your mind is not working. Your mind disappears out of your, goes wherever we don't really understand yeah. what happens. But our, our, there's a difference in weight as a person dies. It's about 2.2 pounds. But there's a shift. And as that energy force leaves the body, wow. the blood stops running, the heart stops pumping, you don't breathe anymore, the brain doesn't make cells anymore. I mean, the body's not making those 800 to a million cells anymore. In other words, life has gone. An EEG machine is not going to pick up anything. An EKG will pick up nothing. Life has moved out. So aliveness has moved out. So that's the mind. Mind is all this experiential stuff. And it's and it's messy because our conscious mind is messy because life is messy because it's so unpredictable. And that's okay. It's okay to be a mess. It's okay to feel thrown by this and excited by that and get maybe irritated and get your irritation under control to get sad. And then because your friend's puppy died or puppy got sick or this is all normal there's nothing wrong with your child if your child is crying every night because they're in a new school and but you've got to help them process that you've got to say i understand that you said you you this is normal life experience there's nothing wrong with your child your child doesn't have clinical depression because they're crying you know obviously if it's if it's if, if there's been a massive behavior change we have to look at why there's been a massive behavior change maybe a child's crying not just because they moved to new school but maybe because they were abused at school so we have to go and dig deeper. So parents, if, if I've been asked this question so often, that what is the main thing that we can do to help our children's mental health? It's equip parents with the knowledge that I'm giving you now. It's equip parents with the knowledge to understand how to read their own reactions and what to do about them and manage their mind because it's our mind that is how we react to our kids, how we live our life, how we help our kids, how we listen to the teacher. That's all mind stuff. So as parents, we need to understand mind and how to manage our minds. And then we can help our children understand mind and manage their minds. So it starts with us helping the parent, not giving that kid another label and another drug and increasing screening in a school to find depression with some silly questionnaire, which research has shown has made things worse. So the models that we're using now, all the models that are out there are making things worse. What will make things better is to help parents to help themselves and their kids. And that's also why I wrote this book. You know, and, and that's the, the fundamental thing. So the mind is this ability to read the book and, and then apply that and that's, and to understand all these things. Now your mind alone needs, it doesn't function well. It needs a physical substrate. And that's the, the electromagnetic light waves and whatever. And they need a physical substrate, which is your brain and your body. So the mind 
magically connects with the brain and the body. And as the energy of the mind, which is the think, feel, choose, electromagnetic light waves, all that stuff which is around us, when that that moves into the physical brain and the body, the brain and the body respond. So we're having a great conversation. So we are getting, this is good electromagnetic light waves, good thinking, feeling, choosing. It's healthy energy that's going into the brain and the brain is responding in a healthy way and it's changing, it's growing. So this conversation is growing into the brain at 400 billion actions per second and it's growing into the brain. Look, It looks like a tree. I've got a little tree over <laughs> here. And it literally looks like that. Okay, sorry, this fuzzy part of this um, background I can here. see it, yes. Um, so a tree has roots and it has trunk and branches. And exactly, that's exactly what we are growing now. We are growing this conversation into the brain as a thought tree. And like a tree has roots, which is the source, which is my conversation with you, which is the source of this conversation, is that's what people, that's what's growing inside everyone's brains, is that's the root part. Then each person is unique in how they think, feel, and choose. Each of us have our own unique mind. So we're interpreting what we're hearing, and that's the, that's going to grow the branches. So the branches are different for everyone. The root in this conversation will be the same. So the root is the source. The branches are the interpretation. Mm. So now the child's root in this the example we gave of, of the maybe their change in behaviors is the parents breaking up and all the implications of that. So the divorce, the separation, the fights, the that's all in the root system. That's not going to build a healthy tree. That's going to build a toxic looking tree. So can mm. you see this wiry looking tree? Yeah. I'm to get it. So I should take this background off. Sorry. You can see the wiry looking tree over there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in other words, that just represents, um, it's still built into the brain as a cluster of proteins and chemicals. So the mind takes the experience that the child has. They come home. There's the divorce stuff happening, whatever the experience that is the process by the mind into the brain. It goes into the brain and the brain changes. It's called neuroplasticity. And the change is on a genetic level and then makes proteins. And this experience becomes vibrations inside proteins that join together to grow branches. I mean, that's this is extremely advanced science, but that's literally what happens. So as we're speaking now, my words, electromagnetic light waves, auditory sound waves are going into the yours and the listeners and viewers' brains as vibrations. But the mind puts it, the mind takes what I'm saying puts it in the brain, the brain responds, the mind-brain connection enables that this information to become vibrations inside proteins. And the more information I give, the more branches you grow. So it's full, it's it's a whole lot of stuff. And the root system grows first, which is my actual words. And then how you understand what I'm saying are the branches which kind of grow simultaneously. So by the end of the conversation, you've grown a thought. By the end of that child's day at school, they've grown a thought. By the, the end of the the Coming home, there's the thought that started growing as the divorce happened and each day more things are added. So there's more stuff added to the roots, more branches. So our thoughts grow. And unless we manage them, if they are toxic experiences, like the bullying that continues at school or the, if the home environment's not managed and the child's not equipped to manage what's going on, yes. that experience just grows and grows. Now the brain tells the body, um, about this thought that it's built. So it gets, so this conversation is building in our brain into this healthy tree because this is a good conversation. Our brain is telling our body about this information and our bodies then build another version of this thought in every cell. So the mind is embodied in the brain and the body. So this is why our mind is our aliveness and drives everything. The, the mind takes life, everything about life, puts it in the brain and then puts it in the body. Mm. And then we show up. And so if we have a toxic experience, like a bullying or this divorce situation I'm giving you, 
that is going in as a toxic thought. So it's proteins that don't fold correctly, vibrations mm. that are out of alignment, that affects the electrical chemical balance. Now that threatens the person's survival. That's messy. So our, at the core of who we are, we have our wise mind. So we see from neuropsychoneurobiology that everything about your mind, brain, and body is designed for you to survive. It's wired for love. We're wired for love. So we're wired for wisdom, for love, and at our core, we're wise. Now, you might be thinking, how is a child wise? They don't have experience. Children are very wise. Just think of the times you've told, you've had a conversation with your child and they give you what, they give you advice that you didn't even think of. Even a mm-hmm. two year old. Yeah. They, kids, we're all wise and, and kids are, they have a, a very un, um, un, sort of an unfilled, they have an unfiltered wisdom, which is a beautiful type of wisdom that's going to mature, but it's there. So the point that I'm making is we wired for survival and that survivalness is um, what our brain and mind and body are trying to help us with. So when we have a toxic experience that's wired in in this toxic way and created a disruption in our mind and in our body, that shows up with signals. So it's like this collaboration going on. Hey, how can I protect? My, how can I protect myself? How can I protect uh, what's going on? And it's all it's all happening on an unconscious level, which is our most inte- uh, um, um, our most intelligent level. So that this is happening to the child, and so the child then. Um, this collaboration between the, the conscious and the unconscious mind and the brain and the body, this whole relationship is all working to say, okay, this is a problem, this toxic tree. The immune system starts sending out immune factors to try and get rid of this because it, it's, it's, it's as physical as the COVID virus. The COVID virus, we all understand is physical. We all understand the immune system fights that. An experience that you have is as physical. As the COVID virus. So our immune system of our brain doesn't distinguish. So it's going to send out the same immune response to toxic experience. So therefore our brain gets inflamed, our body gets inflamed. Uh-huh. And, and that then has a down downward effect. So then our whole entire brain, mind and body become vulnerable to disease. So therefore a toxic experience will translate into the brain and the body as a toxic looking structure which disrupts the functionality of the body, which then can manifest as disease. So you can land up having type 2 diabetes or having cardiovascular problems or having a hyperimmune, hyper, an autoimmune issue, whatever, um, as a result of, but not the cause of. Does that make sense? 100%. Of, so that's, yeah, yes. that's the sort of, I know it's a long route, but if you understand that, then the neurocycle makes total sense, which is what we can maybe dive into. I was just going to say, we should get right into that next. And, and I just have to say, I've had so many like connections being made, like, oh, wait, I get like aha moments, like with everything you're saying. And I, especially about the labeling and if you associate and start doubling down on that label, how it your perception of yourself changes and then you're kind of seeing this life through a label versus just who you are and your experiences. And also what you're saying reminds me of the functional medicine doctors that I have come on. Some are traditionally changed and they've, they're getting to root cause versus treating. Absolutely. So I'm seeing that, but this is for, for the mind. So talk to us about the neurocycle and um, how we can use that. And maybe you can share a specific story if you'd like. Um, Absolutely. How to put it into practice. Yeah. Absolutely. So when I started out and I was working uh, with traumatic brain injured patients, there was in the 80s, there was no research, hardly any research on how to help someone with a traumatic brain injury. Mm. And so I um, I was did not like what I had been trained in, which was teach them to compensate. There's no hope. The brain can't change. Because back in the 80s, they believed the mind and brain were separate, not like now where it's been collapsed together by a certain body of science, but they didn't believe the brain could change. So I did some of the first neuroplasticity research in the world at that time in my field on 
if you change your mind, is in other words, if you learn new ways of functioning, if you learn how to manage those emotions, if you learn how to understand the causes, and if you learn how to whatever, yes. um, you, you're going to change the brain because your mind is doing the work. Whatever your mind does is changing the brain. Yes. So I wanted to understand how can I take those toxic experiences and deconstruct those thoughts and make them healthy thoughts, you know, make, make the ugly trees healthy trees. That's literally what it is. So I needed to understand what a thought was. So the neurocycle is birthed out of understanding how does life get into my brain and body? Mm-hmm. And if it gets in in this, this damaging way, how can I find it? How can I learn to listen to the signals that my mind-brain-body connection are giving me? And then how can I deconstruct and reconstruct that and reconceptualize it to change how it plays out into my future? Now, those are a lot of big words, and obviously kids aren't going to use those words, but that's the that was the question that I posed to myself as a researcher. And out of yes. that developed learned learned how to I, I basically researched what a thought is how it grows and then i was interested to know if that's how thoughts becomes this tree with vibrations how do i break it down how do i reconstruct it so one thing i learned is that well, i learned a lot of things but it's the first thing is that you can't change what's happened to you if that yeah. divorce is happening if that bully's happened at school if that trauma's happened that's your story you can't eliminate it which is the current model you can't eliminate the symptoms yeah. of an experience you may numb them which goes to the question you comment you made earlier that oh it seems to be helping my child concentrate oh it seems to be helping me feel less depression well in the moment they numb the emotion so yes of course you'll feel better they numb they numb the child's brain to the point where they look like they're concentrating and they may concentrate better for a moment but not in the long term so therefore those medications yes are affecting the mind brain body connection if you use them acutely which is like in the moment, yes. just once or twice, they're not going to hurt you. So if let's say someone is really depressed and they just need uh, something for the moment, they take it one tablet. Yes, that's you know not going to have a long. But if you take it chronically, which is an ongoing basis, if you're on the medic, it changes the brain. Now, fortunately, once yeah. you wean off and yeah. you taper off, the brain will heal because the tapering off um, gives the brain the brain a chance to heal. So the the brain does heal. It just depends on how long you are. That will depend how long it takes to heal. So I wanted to learn how we can facilitate that process. Forget the medication for for a moment. Let's say there has been some damage or let's say the child is back into learn at school and you have discovered it's because of whatever story happened, but now they have a genuine learning disability because they had whatever happened in their life that's blocked um, the situation and now they can't do their math or they've fallen behind or they whatever, all that stuff. Um, so now we want to be able to manage that. So my initial research to develop the neurocycle was based around this thinking, how can we do all of this? So I discovered that it's a very complex process, obviously. So I thought, well, I can't tell a two-year-old, I can't tell a 10-year-old, I can't tell even a 50-year-old who's in a state of trauma, all this fancy signs, I have to simplify this. So I spent years taking this mind brain body connection and simplifying it into what are the processes that we can consciously do. And that's where the neurocycle was burst out of. It doesn't replace any kind of therapy that's out there. I'm not saying stop everything and use this. I'm not saying I have the answer to everything. All I have done is created a system that takes advantage of how the mind brain body work and gives you the ability to drive the process. You get in the driver's seat so you can drive the neuroplasticity. So it's a five-step process that begins, though, with a brain preparation. And brain preparation is what we've all heard so much about. You may not have heard it as brain preparation, but you've all heard of breathing and meditation uh-huh. and calming yes. exercise and decompression and that kind of stuff. So you're calming the nervous system. You're basically getting system. to be receptive to do the rest of it. 
very, very well said. You're getting yes. it to tune in. You're getting your nervous system to tune into the cognitive work. It's kind of like if you drive a car through a snowstorm without windscreen wipers. You, <laughs> right. you can't see. Right. Um, you have to get the Makes chaos. Makes it harder. Yeah. It does. So yeah. You want to get the chaos under control. So we want to prepare our brain for uh, um, the work that needs to come up. So a lot of kids and adults are going into the learning situation, school, work, life, with um, with no windscreen wipers. And so, the, and, and it just gets worse and worse. And then that, then they think there's something wrong with them and, they, and they're getting worse and worse impacts all, everything. So what you want to do up front is to recognize, okay, let's stop the boat for the moment and let's see why and what are these signals? What are these things that are blocking, you know, the, the snow? What does the snow look like? How can I start, you know, understanding it? What's out there kind of thing? It, just for, trying to think of an analogy for people yeah. to relate to. Yes. Um, and that's what the brain preparation will start that process. Um, you've, you've got to decompress. So what I've got in the book are brain preparation exercises, some samples, and, and I have, um, decompression exercises, and then I have an app called the NeuroCycle app, and then there's a lot of audio ones, so you can just click on the button and there's a whole bunch that you can select from, and we've got parent ones coming in as well, but you can use the ones that I currently have for adults and children. Okay, so that prepares the neurophysiology calms okay. down the chemistry and the brain waves and gets you to a state where you can actually focus. And then you start the neurocycle, which is a five-step process. So the steps are to gather awareness, reflect, write, act, recheck, and active reach. And I'll, I'll explain each, but time-wise, a neurocycle can be done in the moment to help you calm down in the moment. So it's great yeah. like your kids are maybe come home from school and they're totally freaked out because something's happened. You can do brain preparation. An example would be to breathe in three counts, out seven counts, which is a great way of calming down the neurophysiology. So in for three, out for seven. 10 seconds, you do that nine, six to nine times and you have got your brain in a beautiful and body in a beautiful state to start doing some, you know, work on what's going on. Let's see what's going on. Yes. Um, that'll calm the tantrums, calm the all kinds of things. So that's brain preparation. Then you can dive into the five steps and do it very quickly. You can do it in three or four minutes. But if you, that's the, and I'm going to explain how in a moment, but there's the other side of the neurocycle is if there's a pattern in your child's life. So for example, if they're not sleeping consistently, suddenly something's changed. Now they used to sleep, they're not sleeping. They suddenly having nightmares consistently. There's a, they don't want to go to school. There's bedwetting. There's ten, more tantrums than usual. They're more withdrawn. Where you see something that's out of the norm. Yes. That's, you know, cause kids do that. You know, there are those things that will happen as part of life. So it, you know, don't look for what's not there. Look for the pattern. If yes. it's consistent and it's worrying you and there's a behavior change before you just run straight to the doctor. Because 90, 90% of medications are prescribed by primary care physicians and they have three weeks training in the mind. I've had 15 years of training and 30 years of experience. Um, they, they're not, they don't, wow. they're not medical professionals unless they've done the extra training are not trained in the mind. And I have a team of researchers that are medical professionals be the first to tell you the same thing. And I know what, I've trained medical students, I've trained physicians. So I know what they go through, but they're the first port of call. So I don't want you to get caught up taking a medication because you go and describe those symptoms you're just going to get a medication for your child but if you can say as a parent okay there's a difference and there's a pattern i see that then you would do the neurocycle same five steps with the preparation um, to start with the preparation but you do it daily over a period of time you know five minutes a day 15 minutes max daily and it'll take around about 21 days 20 21 days to start seeing some of the causes and the roots and to start seeing, okay, this is, this is the problem and this is how I'd like it to be. So it's yes. kind of a deconstruction. But if you stop there, it doesn't take 21 days to build a habit. It takes a minimum of around about three cycles of 21. So about 63, 66 days, somewhere in yes. that region. 
yes. to kind of get a peek. So you, once you've, the first 21 days is where you spend around five to 15 minutes doing the neurocycle every day. And I explain exactly how to do the timing yes. and everything in the book. And you've got the app to guide you as well. Um, you're going to do it. Um, and each day you're going to progress a little bit more. So you don't solve it in one day. You're not going to find the underlying cause in one day. It's going to take a little bit of time to work out what that pattern is, what was, what's going on. And then to reconceptualize the new thought. The idea being when you do the neurocycle is that you are, driving your mind energy into the brain and rewiring the brain. That's what you're doing you, and you're controlling it. Now, your brain is changing regardless. So if you don't do this, your brain's still rewiring, but it's rewiring all over the place. So chaos will ensue. Messy mind, messy brain, messy life. Yeah. So if you can know how to direct the neuroplasticity, direct your mind, which changes the what you how your brain wires, you it's a, it's a life skill that is vital. It's because your mind drives everything. So teaching, that's why I say teachers to kids as young as two. Once again, that's why I'm writing written this book is to help people understand this process. So, um, you would then do it daily. First 21 days, around about 15 minutes a day. And then the last 42 days, taking up to 63 more or less. And I'll give or take a couple of days on either side. You're going to do two or three minutes. It's not long. Yes. How would you do this? Where would you do this? I mean, starting with all the big picture before I dive into the detail. I re recommend that you dedicate a space in your house, hmm. even if you don't have a big space. But like we go to the bathroom to clean our teeth. You don't clean your teeth in the garden using the the, the garden hose. You you go to the bathroom. I mean, you, sometimes it may happen if you're on a camping trip. But we go to the, <laughs> we, we cook in the kitchen. We don't cook in the bathroom. You know, right. we've got we go to the gym to do gym. You play with your ball outside. The concept of allocating a space for a dedicated action is a very good way of training yourself training your mind and helping your mm, child to learn that. Love that. So what my sister-in-law did is she painted a part of her kitchen wall. She had a big kitchen wall and she took one part, painted it with chalkboard paint and put a little cute chair and had a little toy box full of, um, the, the, you know, she had the stuff that I had available at that stage and she had a bunch yes. of toys and things. And that was the mind corner. So if a child, if the kids came home from school, if she was feeling bad or my brother was feeling bad, whatever, they knew to go to that environment that was where they communicated and wow. I have over the years I've had patients do this in various different ways um maybe it's just the couch that you go to or there's a chair in your house but you have a allocated space and that becomes the safe space kind of like a bench therapy where um if you walk in the door and you feel terrible you go there and it, even if you're there for a few minutes, it signals to the whole family that I'm in a space where I just need to unwind. And then you just do a little neurocycle. But this is my safe space where I can maybe cry, maybe, you know, shout a little bit, maybe even sway, maybe even throw something, maybe even just, oh, you know, and, or maybe just be sit, sit and be still. And if you want someone with you, hey, can you just come sit with me? And that kind of thing. So that trains a child, it trains ourselves mm. to have this dedicated kind of commitment. When you've done that and you've got that routine going, then it's very easy to apply the mind, the neurocycle, which is just pure mind management in a situation like you're driving in the car on holiday. It's summertime now and your kids have a fight in the back seat and they're crying and you're trying to concentrate. You can do a neurocycle. You can say, okay, guys, this is what's happening. And you can go through the steps and you can walk them through and get into a space of calmness quickly. You let, once you sort of know this, we, we would let kids just loose on the, like when I worked in schools and things like that. And you just give them chalk and they'll, they'll actually draw the little step three, which is like a structure that you create. They'll just go in and exit. We'll have two and three and four year olds solving problems, going to that little area. It's unbelievable. When you give someone the tools to manage their mind, they'll apply it at all ages in different ways. 
Now, let's say that you are in therapy or you've read a lot about, you've got great parenting books, and which there are. There's so many great ideas for that you can get everywhere for free. You can take any of those ideas. I'm not saying that this replaces it. You put them into the neurocycle. So there's something that you love to do with your kids. Like maybe there's a special kind of breathing thing or meditation practice or calming down thing that works for your family. You still do that, but you just, you know, that's your brain prep. Um, let's say that you, you particularly like some kind of cognitive behavior therapy technique, like a visualization exercise. You still do that, but you do it at step five, not step one, that kind of thing. So I'm not saying throw anything out. I'm saying take what you've got, but put them in the right place. What do I mean by right place? The right place that makes sure that the energy drives the brain in the right direction so that you can rewire the brain. So in essence, what we want to do is we want to get to the root. And the way I explain this to the kids, and the way I've explained it in the book, and as you saw, there's all the little images in the book, yes. is that you've got your thought tree, which is the experience. And if it's a bad experience, the roots are bad. That's the source. That's the cause. So you want to get to the roots. You want to dig up that sand and you want to put plant food on. And that's what the neurocycle is doing. It's helping you find the, 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 the sick root and dig it up and get it healed so that you don't cut down the tree or eliminate the tree. You actually heal the tree. Mm-hmm. And so what will happen then is that when the roots are healed, the, the sick part of the tree gets smaller and smaller and then just becomes a tiny little branch that is a memory. That's how I was. But now there's the healthy new replacement tree. So you're reconceptualizing. You're looking at it, as you said earlier on, a different lens. And this is something you can teach kids to do. In fact, I find teaching kids easier than teaching an adult how to do it. They just get this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's phenomenal how they, you know, at first it's a bit of a thing, but then once they get into the routine, they get it. So that's, there's an example, there's examples in the book of, of like an eight year old that I didn't even know that was very traumatized that the parents reach out to me, whatever. So there's a whole story there. And there's, I can tell thousands of stories, um, of, of this happening. So coming back to the five steps, once you've done the brain preparation, the first step is to gather awareness. So it's not just becoming aware. It's not mindful awareness. It's not all of that. You've done all of that in the brain prep. This is actually now very specific to gather. Think of when you gather, it means that you're making a choice. You're consciously and deliberately and intentionally choosing to be aware of certain things. Like if you go into an apple orchard, you choose which apple you're going to gather into your basket. That's the concept. So in the book, I have um, the image. I have created a character called Brainy, which walks your mental health journey, and you would have seen it. And let me see if I can, I've actually got a toy. The doll, yeah. I've got the doll. I've got a little yeah. brainy toy. Let me just Love get it, it out of its box. Please. So you can actually order the brainy toy with the, and you've got the little kit. So there's your little brainy. Yeah. And brainy, it's, it's very easy to hold. And what, what, the, there's a lot of science behind this. It's a brain. So you're teaching your child that you can actually change your brain. So you're getting empowered to get control over that. Also children, if they, young children very often don't know how to express their emotions, but they can show you. So you can have brainy, like you can even say, I see brainy's really sad today. Mm. And brainy's they won't eat his food and brainy seems to have a sore tummy and brainy just doesn't want to do you know, it's having bad nightmares. Yes, I wonder why. And then the child can then, instead of having to make it themselves, they can transfer it to brainy. So brainy becomes this connection point. So in, in this area designated in your house, you start the five steps, have brainy available. Have some other toys available so that your child can pick it up. Sometimes we've had what we've had is children going to that space and just sitting there and picking up a toy. That's the signal to the parent. Hey, I don't know what to say, but I need your help. You know, and if a child's in a really bad space where they like having a tantrum, they can go to that safe space, but there's never judgment. There's nothing bad happens there. That's where you can go and be safe. So you can have things like, um, I give lots of ideas in the book. You can have safe things that the child, maybe there's a little, 
plastic box that they can drop things in that can break that are safe to break. So they have a place. I think you get the idea. Yeah, to so, get the energy out and the to get emotions. the energy out. The emotion. The, the yes. Exactly. So Brainy is the character and um, the who walks your mental health journey with a child. So Brainy comes up throughout the book. So when you teach the five steps, Brainy is doing different things. So you'll see Brainy reaching up and gathering awareness, like reaching up and pulling a branch off the tree, gathering awareness of of his emotions and putting the emotional branch down and then saying, okay, how do I feel? And um, then Brainy will pull down the behaviors that go with that feeling and then pull down, Brainy will pull down the third branch, which is the, um, how the, the what, um, so it's emotions, what they're feeling, their yes. behaviors, what they're saying and doing, yes. their, how they, how it feels in their, how that feels in their body and then yes. how they're looking at life, their perspective. So the languaging for each age I've put in, in different um, tables. So if yes. it's a two year old, how do you say this? If it's a five year old, how do you say it? So the different ages through 10. Once they reach, um, sort of 10, 11, 12, they can use the cleaning up your mental mess book and the app because it's, you know, the language they'll be able to understand. Yeah. So, um, essentially the each, um, so the gather awareness is you gather awareness of your four signals. Remember I spoke about signals at the beginning. Yes. I spoke about ADHD is not a, um, disease, it's a signal. I said depression's not a disease, it's a signal. So signals are what the mind-brain-body connection looks for and make you and, sh- and push you into your, into your behavior, into how you show up. And um, it's your mind-brain-body saying, hey, pay attention. So that's what a signal is. It's calling our attention. Yes. So you're gathering awareness. In the first step, you're gathering awareness of the signals that your mind-brain-body connection are sending to you to get your attention to fix something. So if you imagine Genius. that it's tree has genius and it, and i mean it works and the kids relate to this so imagine what i always tell the kids is okay the, every the, this tree you're feeling bad that's a bad looking tree and i explain in the book how to do the whole you teach them the concept of the tree first before you teach the neurocycle and i tell you exactly how to do that there and what signals are so there's a whole process of teaching that you and your child go through um to get the process but i, I always say to the child think of the tree as having four balloons attached to it and each balloon is a signal. So what is the first signal? It's how you feel. So let's talk about how you're feeling. I'm feeling mad. I'm feeling sad. And you may have, as, as a parent, you may have to provide the words. You, they may show you. They may demonstrate. They may pick up a toy, however. Then you'd say, oh, how does that feel in your body? Where, where are you feeling that? And they say, oh, my tummy's sore. If they don't know, you could say, is your tummy sore? When you feel sad, do you get a sore tummy? So I walk you through that whole thing. But you want to build the relationship between the four signals. I feel this. Where do I feel this in my body? When I feel this and I feel this in my body. So when I'm sad and I have a sore tummy, what do I do? I kick the table. I mean, I'm giving such silly examples, but you yeah. get the idea. Yeah. And then how does that make you see the day? How are you looking at life? That's attitude, perspective. Very hard to explain to a child. So in the in the book, I give you the example of getting sunglasses. Get a beautiful little cute pair of hot sunglasses, just cheap things. Get a one that's maybe scratched, one that's maybe broken. And then the, obviously the happy one versus I'm sort of okay versus I'm not okay. And they can just, you know, say choose a pair of sunglasses. How are you, how are you looking at things now because of the situation? And yes. so you've been, so that's step one. That's very specific. You, and you can, it takes longer to explain than it does to do. Once you've explained it and practiced it with your child, yeah. and you can take as long as you need to learn how to do this. There's no rush. Um, you know, sometimes just the fact that you've taken the time to sit down and say, okay, we've got the space in the house and now let's talk about our emotions and let's talk about how just that alone can transform a child's life. So mastering the whole system, you will get 81, my research shows you'll get an 81% 
an improvement in how you are actually managing your mental health, which is phenomenal. No, there's no medication that's going to do that. There's no anything that scientifically can prove that. And it's not any magic trick. It's pure and utter gut instinct mind management that I'm putting into a very scientific way that I know will change your brain in a sustainable way. Um, so that's the gather awareness. You gather awareness, just four little sentences of each of the signals. Then you go to the next step, which is, okay, now that we've got this very sequential, if yes. you skip a step, you lose you lose part of the process. It won't work as well. Yes. And it actually won't work. So if you jump right down to, you Number know, five. the action or whatever, or <laughs> yeah. if you just if you just talk about your emotions, yeah. Yeah. it's not going to work. It's kind of like a lot of people find brain prep easy and they find talking about the emotions easy because we do a lot of that in the schools and in media. People are very aware of those too. But then they don't do anything else. And what the research shows is that that actually makes things worse. If you just become aware and you just talk about your emotions, but you don't do anything, you go actually get worse. And that's consistently and scientifically been proven to be true. So mm-hmm. it's a bit like if you take off, a, if a plane is flying, you, the engineer comes and prepares everything and they do a checklist with the pilot and the co-pilot. So they're becoming aware. They brain, they're preparing. They're doing brain preparation. Then they take off. They fly. They, I mean, they take off. Yes. That's that's gather awareness. So the checklists and all that stuff, that's the preparation. Yes. The yes. taking off is the awareness. Now, if the pilot doesn't know how to fly the plane, the plane's going to crash. So if I just prepare, breathe, meditate, and talk about my emotions, I'm taking off, but then I'm going to crash. Wow. You've got to teach your kids how to fly the plane. So we have to go beyond mindfulness. We have to go beyond brain preparation. We have to go beyond just gathering awareness. So we have to do, and you have to do, you get awareness, which happens in brain prep, and you get gather awareness, which is the first step. But they're two different things. The one is very specific, very focused. You're not just aware. You're actually aware of very specific things. Yes. So the reflect then is going a little deeper. It's starting to fly the plane. And mm. it's asking why. Reflect is a beautiful word. It's actually focused reflection. I'm focusing on why do I feel that emotion that way in my body that's making me do this and making me look at life like this. And, you know, there's all the languaging for the age groups I give you. And so why? And then that's where the child will start maybe drawing pictures or telling you or enacting with the doll. As you say, you know, why is this happening? And they won't have all the answers straight away. But as they start answering, that's when you go to step three. And that's where you can either dramatize or draw pictures. You can use that chalkboard mm. or paint on your wall. Or you can have a chalkboard. You can have a whiteboard. It doesn't matter what you do. You can have a big, you know, those art um, note, notebooks. Um, some sort of journal, but I'd make sure it's big enough that they can draw in. We have journals that you don't have to, but if you want to, we have journals that you can get on our site. Um, and date everything. Like as a parent, make sure you date things so you can track. Date what's happening. So as they write that down, and what would they write down? What did they gather awareness of? What did they, what did they and reflect on? So as the, so you start the process with this all interaction. It's talking. It's breathing, brain preparation, whatever gather awareness it's a talking exercise maybe the kids are starting to dramatize but it's more you prompting and talking Mm. then you go to the writing and it's not writing where you're journaling in a fancy way it's simply capture what you gathered awareness of and reflected on Mm. so that could be drawings depending on their age it could be a dramatization which you then could draw you can also draw and write for them with them if they're not yet writing, there's no harm in them drawing the picture and you writing the words. They start making that association. They start learning to read. I mean, you're showing them that words have meaning. So even if they can't read it, they love to see words attached to things. The yeah. point is of that step, and I'll give you the details. I'm giving you the big picture now. But yeah. you basically capture that. If you capture it on the board, then you as a parent 
just transfer that somehow into into a book just to, even if it's a summary just one line note so that yes. you've just captured what happened that day what the progress was because the board will be cleaned so you just want to capture what the progress was why because if you track this if there's a pattern and you're tracking this over time you can see the progress you can also say to your child you know life is busy you're not going to have time to remember exactly what your child said yesterday and it's and, but this teaches you how to see things differently. You get very focused. You look at things very differently. You'll notice your own attention and focus um, changing completely because you're looking quite specifically at things. So things become much more evident. So by tracking it over time, you are able to, like when tomorrow comes, you can look back at what you wrote yesterday. You know, yesterday we did this, or even if you skip a couple of days in between because life happens, you know, you, you, you can, you've got the record. You've kept a yes. record somewhere. So even if it's your own journal that you're keeping yes. a record in, and the child has a separate one, you can work that out. You know, there's different options. Then step four is to look at what you've written. So let's say you're looking at that board and you've drawn these pictures and there's been a few words that, that they've drawn and you've, I mean, you've written and they've drawn or whatever it is, or they've done a whole exercise or written a whole bunch of words. You then say, okay, let's look now at what you've written. What is, what, what is, what have we said here? What else could we add to this? This is what's happened. What can we do about this? How could we I see you that this person pulled your hair at school and stole your lunch and it's happening every day? Oh, okay. But they didn't tell you that initially. They just came home crying and withdrawing because they were whatever. So you start seeing things like, oh, um, I didn't, things come out like, I didn't tell you because they said if I tell you that they're going to tease me more, they're going to hurt my brother or, you know, then you start seeing other things. So Others, that, yeah. the, the other, the other parts of the pattern, you're starting parts to get the to the story. root of the, yes, you're starting to get the story. And because you, I cannot stress enough, the safe space, nothing is wrong. If they say a swear word or they say scream or throw a tantrum, this is the one space that they allow to say it in because you, if they're expressing something, obviously you're not going to let them do that in public yeah. and. That's but cool. it's a moment exactly <laughs> yeah, exactly right it's a moment the that if that comes out there's something that's you know where did they hear that in the first place and or how did you know what is that energy that's 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 coming out that they transfer and they don't know what to do with they need to know that whatever they do you're not going to turn around to them and say oh it's not so bad we're trying to help them but that makes it don't worse minimize it. Don't, don't minimize don't invalidate let them know that whatever they say there, they're still going to be loved and accepted for who they are. Yes. And we'll shape it. Obviously, you know, you can't go out into the world and act like that. But here you can. Here you can show me how you feel. Yes. And let's now say, okay, well, how can we reconceptualize it? So step four is where you're doing that. This is what's happened. This starts making you feel, you know, this is not the ideal way of, of you know, going out into the world. And you can't, you know, you can't keep pinching your brother or hitting your brother or, you know, you can't not eat your lunch or whatever. We, so what can we do? I understand why you're doing that. You're doing yes. that because of this. So I validate that and I see why you did it. And um, I don't understand because it's your experience, but I, I hear you. I see you. Mm. I, I validate you. We but all how need can that, we, don't we? My yeah, goodness. we all need it. We all do it. And so that you'd go for. Then you would end off and you wouldn't spend more than, honestly, a minute or so on each of these things. Right. This isn't Two like an hour. Like parent, Right. This is you so want to do this in You want to do this the first time you do it, it'll take you forever just to do one step. But you'll, you'll get the hang of it in about three weeks. Yeah. Um, even less, you know, if you yeah. do it, you'll start and you'll get better and better all the time. Eventually, it just is so easy. It's, it becomes a natural part of your lifestyle. But you want to spend about a minute or two on each of the steps. So it's not long. Another quick example of it is let's say that you come in from the day and you've had a really busy day working. You had to run all over the place. Busy mom, busy dad, busy life. And that's normal. 
Yes. And you just have, but also maybe you're just not feeling so great because things, maybe upsetting things happen and yeah. you're disappointed in something. So you're just not yourself. You walk in the door and the kids have made a mess. It's summer holidays. They're all over the place. Their friends are everywhere. Their food's everywhere. Their toys are, and you fall over the toys and the dog's messed and they didn't clean up the mess and there's whatever. And you freak out and you yell at your kids and you yeah. say some things. Maybe you regret this is real. We, we, it's okay. Messy parenting is very normal. You can do a neurocycle with your kids. You can, because maybe you flip your lid and you shout and you say things and you throw things around, whatever, whatever happens. It's okay. It's okay to be a mess. But it's okay. But now let's do something about it. So you can go and say to your kids, okay, I'm sorry. Go sit on that little neurocycle bench and say, I'm sorry. I am so frustrated. I yelled at you. I have got such tense shoulders and I am just today. I feel like this put on the sunglasses that are all broken. And I, I, I don't know why, but I think it's because I'm just did too much today. And this is something that's worrying me. And then you write some pictures, you just draw a few words on the, on the board. This is worrying me. You'll be amazed at what comes out of you. And your kids will watch you. Now you've done the three steps. You're demonstrating, you're modeling, you're showing, Hey, adult parent, mother, she also flips out. It's okay. She's saying sorry. She's, they're learning from you. And you write on the board, you watch those kids will come up and say, Oh, mom. And they'll do a recheck with you and they'll draw pictures with you and they'll say, maybe you need to rest or whatever. And so you can then, you know, work it out together. It can be a little collaborative thing. And that's your chance to say, like, I'm sorry, I yelled. I didn't mean to say those things. I really didn't mean those ugly words. I'm sorry if they made you feel bad. Did they make you feel bad? Whatever. You know, let's have a hug. And then you end off this thing with an act of reach. Your fifth step is an act of reach and action. I didn't hmm. mention this when I was explaining with the children, which is something that you can do that's simple. It can be a little visualization. It can be a little quote. It can be a little statement. It can be a combination yes. Yes. of just, okay, so um, I have to reach for the mother example. could be something like, okay, I definitely need to do less and I need it right now before I can work out and solve the problems at work or whatever. I just need to rest for the day. Thank you for making me feel so much better by listening to me. Um, let's go for a walk or let's watch TV together or let's cook dinner together or let's whatever. That's an act of reach. So it's like a little statement acknowledging what you have gone through in terms of analyzing how you showed up. You've released the guilt. You've said the sorry. You don't have to feel parent guilt. You don't have to feel bad for being a messy mom. It's totally normal or messy dad. And you've shown the kids so much and you've now ended the thing and you've moved on and you've, you do something together. That's that's the act of reach. That's where you can put in a little technique, a CBT technique or an affirmation or a quote or mm. a visualization. Or, and then you teach the kids when they're at school and someone's teasing them or something or the teachers yelled at them because they just didn't concentrate. Those things happen. We just lose concentration and they feel yes. bad about themselves. Yes. They can, in their mind, be looking at the teacher and they can run through the five steps in 30 seconds or one, one minute or wow. under. And they can they can have a little... A, a sort of standard act of reach that is their comfort one, which is maybe they imagine brainy or imagine their puppy or imagine a rainbow or there's a little statement that they can then go back into and that anchors them. And that's what the first step does. I mean, this is a broad overview, but the, you can hear each of these steps has an enormous amount of creativity that you can bring to the party as a parent. It's just if you work within that framework, you are basically rewiring the brain in the direction you want it to and giving your children the tools to manage their mental health. I haven't even touched on the learning side, which we don't have time for, but I have a whole book on how to use the same five steps to learn. And that's, um, so yeah, and, and we've got a whole app coming out with that. I mean, a section of the app coming out, but I think if parents can start with yes. this side, yes. the learning, the learning side is something they can then follow up with later and learn. Um, your passion for all this is so amazing. And all I can think of is if we parented using this, what a healthy, like 
beautiful society with humanity, like in a connection, because when we're healed, we're also relating to others in a much more uh, less reactive way. And we can really connect with people in a meaningful way. So it's like you're creating a movement um, that will tr- could truly change humanity. I, do you see? And I we're so I know we've gone so long. I just quit. So is this an issue yes, globally? Oh yes, it, it is an issue. Wherever wherever Westernized psychiatric medication or the biomedical model has hit has created this problem. So where you see communities where they don't manage mental health like this, where it's done very much in a the way that it should be yeah, done. Yeah. Um, you don't see oh, the same yes. kind of issues. Yeah. Where right. it's much more collaborative, like I've described, I've just really gone, you know, where they're doing those steps without even realizing it's just kind of because it's what I'm teaching the neurocycle, it's very natural. Yeah. I'm just making something that's very natural for survival into something that we can be deliberate about because we've messed up how we do do it. But yeah, it's, it is a problem. And this is, it is a movement that we need to counter yes. because we've got a whole generation growing up thinking there's something wrong with them. If they yeah. have a, if they have an emotion. Meanwhile, you need to be able to be sad. Depression is good for you. So is anxiety. And I bet you no parent has ever heard anyone say that before. I'm a doctor and I'm saying depression's good for you and anxiety is good for you. Where the problem comes in is a teacher because it teaches us how to experience life. We need to be sad if someone dies. We need to be a bit anxious. It's normal to be anxious when you're going to a new school. This helps you to focus more, et cetera. But it's when we don't manage the messiness. And we don't allow ourselves to process in the way that I'm describing with the neurocycle, that anxiety will then tip. So instead of it being balanced, so think of the two a scale with the balance thing in the middle. We've got anxiety and depression and all those things, which are really good emotions. And then all that sort of happy joy, whatever on the other side. And then the balance in the middle with mind management. If we don't manage our mind, then it's going to tip. And, tip. and we're going to then suddenly something that's working for you, like stress and anxiety and depression, which make you a normal human and an empathic human and a, a relatable human and a human who can connect with others into someone who's battling because it's now tipped into the wrong direction. So it works against you. And by the same token, if this tips, we're going to have a lot of narcissism. I'm perfect. I'm Everyone else must run off to me kind of thing. I did a whole podcast on how we've got to be careful of. It's a lot of our current parenting sort of techniques can create narcissism in a child. Um, thinking and entitlement because of how we, you, you know, you've got to teach a child to feel. They've got to have empathy. They've got to know that that's right and wrong. They've got to be okay with being sad and all these things, which we take away from kids. So yeah, we need to do this because this generation's the adults of the future. And it I just think persists. about it all yeah. the time. I really do. Um, anything I didn't ask that you want to leave the women listening with? I know we've gone long, but I literally could talk to you all day. I find this so fascinating, and I'm so grateful to you for the work you're doing but is there anything you want to leave the women with today that are listening well, i think just the fact that i mean it's it's so do you can't control the events and circumstances of your life but you can control your reactions and you know that's why i've tried to put a whole kit together not just the book you know you've got the book and hang on, i'm trying to pull out the coloring book you've even got a coloring book but everything's sitting on my desk here you even we even have a coloring book where oh uh, i love uh, it how do I get this? There we go. Yeah, if okay, you stay so setting color with brainy and, and friends. And friends. So it's uh-huh. all the it's all the all the brainy characters and it's scenarios though. So it's a whole lot of different scenarios that you can work use with the book, with the character, um, that then help it come alive. So children can go in and actually color in and cut out pictures and all kinds of stuff. So I'm trying to give parents the tools to be able to empower themselves to help themselves and to help their children manage their mind. Because if you think of it, you, we've got therapists and coaches and counselors, but you're not with them every day. You are with your mind 24-7. If we don't teach our kids and ourselves to manage our mind, 
you can't hand that off to someone else. You can't, that's not a therapist's job. It's not a doctor's job. They're there to support the medical impact yeah. of life. And they get 10 minutes with you anyway. Yeah. And even a therapist, if you've seen them once or twice a week, they're still not with you 24 seven and you yes. should be the one directing the process. You know, and if you, if you know yourself, you can then direct the process and that makes it more efficient. I have so much gratitude for you. Everything you said has resonated. I'm just going to break this down quick for people. So this is how to help your child clean up their mental mess, uh, ages three to 10, but this could be applicable. Cleaning up your mental mess is for, would you call adolescence? Yes, uh, adolescence and older and, and up. Yeah. And then there's the app, uh, which is called oh. Neuro. Neurocycle. Neurocycle, which can you can find on the app store. And all yeah. of the show notes for today will be over at thegoodlifecoach.com with all the links. But where do you like people to connect with you? Where should I direct them? Well, Instagram is a great place because everything you can get to my webpage and everything from there. So it's Dr. Caroline Leaf. Okay. And I'll include that there. Um, thank you so much for your generosity with your time and for the movement you're doing and for helping our children. I have so much gratitude for you. And I have loved this conversation. I could literally thank talk so to you all day. I'm fascinated thank you. by you. <laughs> Thank you. It's so sweet of you. And you thank you for giving me so much time to be able to talk. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. What a fascinating conversation with Dr. Leaf. Now, as a reminder, this is a podcast, which is for entertainment and educational purposes only. It is not intended to be mental health advice for anything dealing with your mental health and well-being. Please contact your trusted healthcare provider. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you gained some new information or inspiration for your life. That is that the essence of this show is to really wake up to what's possible for you to reclaim your beautiful voice and to really learn to love and prioritize yourself. So if you gained any value from any of the conversations you've tuned into, Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can do that right now on your phone. And please do consider leaving a rating and review if you have yet to do so on Apple Podcasts. It's actually how more women can find the show. And I really want to grow a community of women who are loving themselves and living full on. So thank you as always for tuning in. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.